are not alone. Welcome to The Clark and Linda Show. This is our real relationship, experiencing change after addiction and betrayal. We're learning to connect, to feel safe and confident in marriage. And you can too. Holidays can be such a hard time for the once betrayed and once addicted. Not once have I ever seen a Hallmark movie about a couple who struggled with betrayal and then somehow they managed to stay together and have a happy ending because that would be too hard to watch and no one wants to put anyone through that initial pain on purpose or even for pretend. So don't be looking for that kind of Hallmark movie coming out anytime soon, you guys. So in this special Christmas episode, Merry Christmas, everyone. Um, and the last show that we're going to be doing for 2019, we're going to answer a listener's email. Um, we know this is not a unique situation to her and she gave us permission to share it in hopes that somebody else out there would know that they are not alone during the holidays. Yeah. And we are going to address these questions and her experiences, but we're just going to do it from our own perspective and using our own experiences. Um, obviously, like we've said on many episodes in the past, we are not professional counselors or therapists. Um, and we do suggest that if you're going through these issues, that you contact a trained sexual addiction therapist or betrayal trauma therapist um, if you feel like you need that help. I It's highly recommended. Um, but we, we do know that through prayer and revelation um, – you can find help from the Lord for these problems. And that's uh, been our experience. And that's what we're trying to do in these podcast episodes is to share some of the ways that we have received that revelation in our own lives and some of the things that have worked for us. Um, I know that in preparation for this episode, we both spent a decent amount of time reading different resources, materials, talks, scriptures, things like that. And we hope that in sharing these it can help maybe uh, spark some ideas or just help you bring the spirit into your life so that you can receive that own personal revelation. Because like Linda said, I'm sure that these experiences are not unique to this individual and to this family. Um, but with that, um, what we're going to do is we're going to start out by reading uh, the email that we received from this listener. Uh, we're going to have Linda read that email because it did come from a female listener, Um, but just know that we have changed the names uh, to protect uh, the privacy of this individual. So with that, Lynn is going to read this email from Bonnie. Okay. So first, thanks, Bonnie, for sending us your email. Um, You brought up all kinds of amazing uh, experiences and questions and things that that we thought would definitely help. So... um, So I'm just going to jump in and, um, she thanks us at the beginning for, you know, doing this and I was just going to kind of skip that, but, um, we still appreciate that very much. So here, here we go. I am not in any way asking you to play therapist to our family. I know that every situation is different and that we all need to seek counsel from the Lord. I do, however, feel prompted in reaching out to you about this because I'm hoping you can offer insight from the perspective of the one going through betrayal trauma. I'm writing on behalf of Greg. Remember, names have been changed. My husband and his family. July was the D-Day for his family. It was the day we discovered that Greg's father has been dealing with pornography addiction and the various struggles that often come with that for 13 years 
We were the last of the family members to find out, and it was painful. When we found out in July, Greg's mom shared that she and dad don't share a room anymore. She set the boundaries that she needed, and we respected that. She also shared that it had been two years since she discovered her husband's addiction. In the months that followed, things seemed to be going well, and dad had almost made it two years clean when he lost a battle. This time, the boundary was that he moved out. He is currently staying in an apartment, and the two kids who currently live at home are really struggling with that. We were able to take the time we needed to forgive Greg's dad for what had been taking place. I like how you shared in the Lost Battles podcast episode how you would respond to your son is different than how you would respond to your spouse, and that it should be that way because you and your spouse are connected and committed to each other differently than that of a mother and son. So obviously the forgiveness process between us and dad will look differently than between mom and dad because it didn't affect us in the same way. The difficulty right now in Greg's family is that mom's therapist has offered the advice to not focus on forgiveness at this time. Mom has shared that she believes that if she forgives too soon, that dad would not change. I can see the value in teaching Greg's mom not to rush the process of forgiveness because it may not allow her to fully process her emotions and lead to bottling up instead. On the other hand, I can sympathize with the siblings about how they feel concerned about her not making an effort to forgive because in the meantime, mom has become more depressed and bitter and they want more than anything for her to feel peace. It's not about them trying to fix the marriage. They just want her to forgive so she can be happy no matter what happens otherwise. And the children are upset with this advice from the therapist because to them, it sounds like she's ignoring the commandments. The prophets repeatedly speak of forgiveness, and I admire Greg's family family members for for wanting to see that applied in their own family. It seems like such a basic principle until you're actually putting it into practice while still raw and hurt, and then add to that the difficulty of dealing with repeated offenses. Unfortunately, mom's pushing people away and anger makes her viewed as the villain. It's been three years now of not trying to forgive and the children are upset about the slow process. Her youngest son that still lives at home has opened up about how he feels that mom is being too harsh and that kicking dad out has made him feel that he could never go to her for help or be honest about his own struggles. I understand her mind, because I know how I feel when I'm hurt. Often my actions may not make sense to others, but I'm also trying hard not to deny the hurt feelings because as my therapist put it, we can try to ignore our emotions, but our body has a way of standing up for itself and it will all come out in an, expl in an explosion of not give, if not given the attention it needs. Thanksgiving is stressing me out since we'll be with Greg's family and the siblings have been communicating about what they can do to encourage mom to forgive. Now I'm certainly a believer in the need to forgive, but I also know it is a personal process. As frustrating as it may be for them to see, I know that she has her own process to go through. So my question is, what message about forgiveness would you share to the children of betrayal and addiction recovery parents? What does the process of forgiveness look like in someone going through betrayal trauma? How often is forgiveness involved in that situation and how may it look compared to other situations? Is it different? Is it a different process, but still important? What do you do to show your children that you're trying to work as a team, even if that may include scary things like dad moving out? 
How do you communicate to them that sometimes not being together is working together and sometimes working to heal yourself before forcing forgiveness is still a process of forgiveness? Again, I'm not in any way asking you to be a therapist to our situation. I just thought you could offer insight on how it could feel when others might pressure you to forgive. I hope I made sense. I'd be happy to clarify anything. And thank you for sharing your vulnerable story. Um, She says that she cried with each of the videos with us. Oh, you're so sweet, Bonnie. Um, And I'm keeping you in my prayers and send my love your way. Okay. So since I got to read that whole letter, I'm going to let Clark kind of give some some thoughts on things at the beginning there. And then I'll kind of chime in as usual if I have any thoughts. Okay. First off, can I just say, <laughs> wow, that is yeah. a really hard thing to deal with. And our Love and prayers go out to you and your family and, of course, Greg's mom and dad and his siblings. And I just want to say that, you know, don't give up. And thanks for being willing to share that letter and and, and trying to seek help. Um, and thanks for thanks for the kind words to us as well. But yeah, being, being vulnerable to... Sh- yeah, to share that's tough to send that, that email. Information about all your family and and those struggles. That's yeah, that's yeah. definitely hard. So mad respect from us for for being willing to open up about that. That's tough, and and for for looking for solutions and and being willing to talk with your husband with siblings. I mean, it's it's awesome that you're looking for for these solutions. And I I wish that there were just easy answers, right? Like um, one, go do this, and then it'll be better. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I just wanted to start with that. Um, I, you know, I read that and, you know, Linda shared it with me and, and I just teared up even reading it and, and thought, man, yeah. uh, what do we say? You know, I don't even know. And I will admit that my first reaction, I had to read through this a few times because my initial thoughts were all geared towards probably the wrong thing, honestly. <laughs> um, you know, I, I read all this and then I, I was thinking about it. I was like, oh yeah, you know, I, my initial thoughts, uh, you know, of course I kind of see things from the addicted's perspective. And and so And I, I saw things from the betrayed which is, perspective, which right. seems normal because that's our current role and experience. Of course. And so but that that's what I'm saying. My my initial reaction was, oh yeah, she needs to forgive. And I saw all these scriptures started going through <laughs> my mind. Probably similar ones that the kids have been thinking of, oh, right? Yeah. Of, you know, uh, of you, it is commanded to forgive all men. You know, I, the, I, the Lord will forgive whom I will forgive, but of you is commanded to forgive all men and judge not that you be, you know, like I had all these scriptures and, and things like that. And then I reread the email and realized that what Bonnie asked is what message about forgiveness would you share to the children of betrayal and addiction recovery parents? What does the process of forgiveness look like for someone going through betrayal trauma how often is forgiveness involved in that situation? How may it look compared to other situations? Is it a different process, but still important? You know, all of these things were directed at the children. And what I realized is there are a lot of great resources out there right now for uh, addicts, for the spouses of addicts, and even a lot of resources for parents of oh, yeah. kids who are struggling with pornography and pornography addiction. Um, sadly, 
there, at least that I could find, there's not like a ton of really great resources for children of parents struggling with this, right? Right. And maybe that's, you know, it, and, and I'm, when I say resources, I am talking mainly from an LDS perspective. Sorry. From the perspective of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, if you go to overcomingpornography.org, uh, there's, you know, three links that you can click. There's um, a link for parents, there's a link for spouses, and there's a, or, and then there's a link for uh, the addicted. Um, and if you go to uh, addictionrecovery.churchofjesuschrist.org, it's kind of similar, um, although one of them does say spouses and families. So we're getting a little mm-hmm. bit closer there where there, there is a, a whole manual for spouses and families of the addicted. Um, and so, you know, it is, it is tough thinking of the children. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, maybe, maybe that'll be one of the next things we see. I remember um, years ago, all of the resources were just toward the addicted, right? And there wasn't oh, a lot yeah. of great things even out there for the betrayed and yeah, no, spouses of the addicted. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's recent additions. And, you know, as we seek to understand more and more about the dynamics of addiction and betrayal trauma and recovery and healing, um, I would not be surprised if we see uh, more resources geared toward families and children of um, of parents who are dealing with these difficult, difficult issues because it definitely affects children uh, in the home. And yeah, and, and you know, we have small children, and they don't even know how to voice, you know, what they want as children. Let alone, you know, if it was something like this, you know. Like our kids, the way that they were able to notice there was something wrong was just praying for us to and and to bless us in their prayers. Just, you know, that we could be happy or that we could be together. But that that's as much as they could voice. So imagine, you know, someone with a lot more experience with vocabulary and feelings and you're an adult and you have a spouse and then you know to be able to voice that and and need to get some resources and and help and healing even for for those children would be like huge like they have real valid concerns and feelings yeah yeah um, i do want to apologize though cuz she did say thanksgiving she sent this this email to us a while back and it was just, it's been pretty crazy. And so we, we are sorry we couldn't get this out before Thanksgiving, but this is our hope to get this out before Christmas. And maybe this could be a good uh, resource for others out there um, before the, before the Christmas. Yeah. Holiday. I think it's similar, right? There's a lot of yeah. family get togethers and mm-hmm. things like that. And, and so hopefully it, it will help. Yeah. We were out of the country for a little bit and just, yeah. Anyway, I, I I so as my thoughts turn toward the children, and it sounds like these children are a little bit more mature, right? Yeah. I mean, several of them are adults. There's a couple still left at home, but I, I get the feeling that they're a little bit older children. And so as I started to think about what is the advice, you know, for uh, what does the process of forgiveness look like for for children? Um, what what message about forgiveness would we share with the children of betrayal and addiction recovery parents? Um, I, I really kind of changed my focus on what I wanted to talk about. And, um, you know, I, I think that first and foremost, we, we need to recognize that addiction and trauma are some of Satan's uh, greatest tools to try and separate us from Christ. 
separate um, husbands and wives, separate children and parents, separate families. Um, both both addiction and the trauma that results from addiction are extremely difficult to overcome. And both of those need healing and recovery. Both require our love and ministering. Both require divine help from our Savior. And I guess, you know, one of the things I thought about is I think so much because the resources were available first for the addict, right? Like that was the first problem. And then other things kind of came from that. Um, I think we have a tendency almost to focus on the addiction and, and not as much on the trauma that results from that addiction. And, you know, I, I go back to, you know, several episodes we talked about uh, helping her heal. Um, And, Man, that is a great resource, I think, not only for husbands or spouses of the addicts, but I think it's helpful for everyone to understand what that trauma does to the spouse of an addict um, and how that betrayal can affect them um, and and just what it does for them. One of the things that I was thinking of is, you know, maybe a different perspective would be helpful when thinking of the betrayed, right? Um, I don't want to demonize husbands um, or or addicts, I, I should say, because it's not always the husband, right? Um, um, I don't want to make their life any, any harder than it already is, but maybe just a helpful exercise. Um, and you can, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but if, um, maybe just imagine instead of, a pornography addiction. What if the husband had anger management issues, right? What if he just couldn't control his temper and he had blowups that led to physical abuse, um, right? If if their dad had had beat their mom and then felt super terrible about it and wanted to change, right? And he was seeking forgiveness and he was starting the process of trying to control his temper and get those feelings in check and overcome those anger management issues. But then he relapsed and physically abused her again, hit, hit their mom, right? Um, everyone would expect her to want separation. In fact, oh, yeah. if she didn't get out of that situation, most people would say that she was foolish or naive or, you know, not doing what she needed to, to protect herself right. and her family. Right. Um, And of course, pornography addiction and physical abuse are very different. But the point I'm trying to make is that both of them inflict severe trauma on the spouse. And just because we can't see the emotional and spiritual trauma like we could see maybe cuts and bruises from physical trauma, it doesn't make it any less real. Right. Yeah. That's why, you know, I love the, the, the helping her heal series so much because some of the comparisons he makes with, you know, like this person, this wife has just been run over by a truck. You know, she's been shot. She is in the hospital trying to heal. And I think we don't necessarily understand that. You know, the other thing that stuck out to me as I read this letter is he was dealing with pornography addiction for how many years? 13. 13 years, right? This had been going on for a long, long time. And yet, the kids just expect the mom to to get over it in 
in a couple of years. You know, here she's been dealing with, and she may not have even known about it. But you don't yeah, have to know about the know addiction. About it for two years. Yeah, you don't have to know about the yeah. addiction to still experience the trauma of it, right? Oh, There's yeah. all kinds of things that were manifest in his behaviors that she didn't even know why, but they were still affecting their marriage and their family and their spirituality, right? For mm-hmm. 13 years, he's been struggling with this. And we just expect her to forgive and get over it and have everything go back to normal in two or three years. Um, you know, I think that that's maybe a little, a little unrealistic, um, you know, and, and so I'm not saying that the kids should not um, be empathetic with their dad. Um, I just would encourage them to try and have that same empathy for their mom. Um, I don't want them to pick sides. I don't oh, want yeah, them to the say, yeah. you know, mom over dad or dad over mom. Um, but one thing that as I was going through this, um, the words of a hymn just kept coming into my mind. Um, the, uh, the hymn was, uh, Lord, I would follow thee. Right. Um, and, and I think that one of the best things they can do is there's a line in that that says, um, savior, I would learn to love thee. I would learn the healer's art. Um, no, sorry. I would be my brother's keeper. I would learn the healer's art. To the wounded and the weary, I would show a gentle heart. Um, Lord, I would follow thee. Um, and I think that that we need to have empathy for for both members, for both the addicted as well as the betrayed, and try and see things in, in, in both their shoes. Um, I, I think it's really interesting, um, the recent focus on ministering mm-hmm. and, and all the things that we need to do to ministering. There's so many great articles and I'll, I'll probably link to some of them. I'm not going to quote all of them, but um, that talk about how do we minister, right? And one of the first things we need to do to minister is to try and seek to understand what people are going through, to put yeah. ourselves in their shoes. Um, there was, uh, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of, along with the ministering articles, um, we're constantly reminded of the covenants that we've made to mourn with those who mourn and comfort those in need of comfort and I think, you know, like, I remember we, both of us kind of went through a phase of mourning mm-hmm. um, as part of this process where we just had to mourn our old relationship and realize that was gone. And from here on out, it's going to be different. And there are things and that we, didn't we might never like. go back to. And we didn't yeah. know what it's going to be like. And we knew there was things that we were going to miss. And there's still some times where I find myself mourning old things, but I, I also rejoice in the new things that we have as part of our relationship. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. I was reading various articles about mourning with those who mourn and, and trying to comfort those in need of comfort. And uh, there was this great article about someone who was mourning the loss of a husband. Their husband had died. He passed yeah. away. But I thought this was so applicable. It was talking about how she, she was talking about how people helped mourn with her, all the, all the different people that reached out to her. Um, She said, then during the following weeks and even months, I often needed to talk. I found that those who helped the most were those who let me talk instead of talking to me. They didn't tell me to feel a certain way or to be grateful for the blessings I had. I was grateful for the many blessings I had received, but I still struggled with many emotions. I felt so much better when someone would say, I understand that you feel that way and that's okay. This allowed me to open up and experience my my emotions 
in order to effectively deal with them. And I just thought, perfect. oh man, that's yeah, yeah so, so applicable to um, almost every situation, really. So, yeah. Like whether you've gone through betrayal trauma or just anything, it's just perfect to be able to sit and listen to somebody so that it helps them heal. I I wrote very similar things <laughs> to this, uh, to that, um, because she said how the therapist told her, uh, her mother-in-law to not focus on forgiveness. And while, you know, I can appreciate that everyone in the family knows that forgiveness will free, you know, the betrayed from feelings of guilt or pain and that, you know, she can experience peace. Um, Telling someone to forgive doesn't ever lead anyone to actually forgive. Like we can tell our kids like, go apologize to your brother and you got to forgive him. I mean, that doesn't work. I mean, it just it's just, you know, words, you know, there's nothing actually behind that. Um, And so it's definitely not forgiveness or repentance. But as parents, you know, we try to do that. <laughs> it's kind of the first steps. Um, But. So I can, you know, totally agree with what you're saying and say that, you know, I think the therapist is is kind of okay in not focusing on forgiveness. Honestly, like she can't provide forgiveness, you know, what's she going to do Yeah. <laughs> to provide forgiveness? She can't provide forgiveness. The forgiveness doesn't come from the therapist. The forgiveness comes from the betrayed, but through Christ. And um, I I kind of outlined some things, um, basically, you know, the things that you mentioned. Um, but then also, um, I just kind of felt like forgiveness and trust, you know, were are two different things, and how we we talk about those two two being different. And um, I remember when when I initially started, you know, um, feeling, um, like I, like I could trust you a little bit more was because you were kind of doing things that helped me feel like I could trust you or saying things that helped me understand that you were like on my team. And, um, when you would tell people about and tell people our family about you know what we were going through that you wouldn't throw me under the bus that you wouldn't I mean you know you did but like <laughs> but like you I like the way that you would present it to to our family for example and you took responsibility and ownership for your actions which helped me see that you were repentant. And the fact that I could see that you were trying to do that and um, trying to do other things was what kind of brought me to a place where I could forgive. Like my therapists that I've had have been able to provide me with tools to help me trust myself and my judgment but then also help me recognize things that you might be doing that I wouldn't otherwise notice um, as things that are moving you towards your own personal healing, which provided, you know, me with a little bit more trust, kind of like 
some drops in the trust bucket. Um, and I think that that helped me in moving towards forgiveness. And then also, you know, my, my family, um, being super empathetic about my feelings and, um, my emotions. And I feel like, um, kind of like what you said, you know, if family members can show empathy, love, validation, patience, um, it will remind her of the Savior's love for her and to help her remember that she can go to the Savior for healing and that his healing is real and available to her. So like bringing her to Christ so that he can help heal her wounds is the best thing that family members can do. And I think that as you do validate those feelings and as you do validate um, your emotions and the actions that you take and your boundaries that you've set, and even like your spouse validating those things and supporting you in those things helps the healing process so much. I feel like um, really fortunate to like have had certain things that you've done which I feel has like catapulted my healing process because you were able to take responsibility for things and not um, continue to gaslight, but support, you know, specific boundaries that I've set for myself. Um, And I feel like that has helped tremendously. So yeah, I, I totally agree that the best thing that family members can do for the person who's been betrayed is be empathetic. I agree. And I, I think, you know, we talked about there's not a lot of resources out there for family members. And so in the absence of that, one of the things I think would be most helpful is for family members to read all the resources that are out there for the addicted and the betrayed. And as you seek to understand both of those, I feel like it'll help you be way more empathetic. Like, mm-hmm. um, One of the things uh, I remember reading about was uh, that, like, I didn't understand boundaries at first. Um, And uh, Maurice Harker, who we've talked about a lot um, in our podcast, uh, we've mainly focused on uh, his book, Like Dragons Did They Fight, which is amazing and and awesome. He has another book called I'm Not Okay, You're Not Okay, But It's Okay. Um, and he has a whole section in there where he talks about boundaries and he says, you know, like, uh, when we teach boundaries to women, you know, they usually kind of get it and understand it after we go through it. But the, the husbands are, you know, they, they don't understand it. They, they think a boundary is something that's going to separate them. And they're like, why are you trying to, you know, keep us apart? Why are you, this seems wrong. This doesn't seem right. Um, but as they learn and understand more about the purpose of boundaries and why they're there and what they're for. And I, I think that's probably a whole other podcast episode. I don't know that. Oh, we I need totally to, put. Oh, you have, well, and that's okay. I think we can touch <laughs> on boundaries. Um, but it is a, I mean, there's, there's a lot about boundaries oh, yeah. out there and, and really getting to understand that. Um, but I think as, as we seek to understand, then it, it brings more ep- empathy and, and stuff. Um, I, I really like what you said about, you know, it never works to tell somebody to forgive somebody else. You know, I, I feel like if you have that feeling in your mind, like, oh, this person needs to forgive somebody, you're almost already like kind of stepping <laughs> into unrighteous judgment, right? Like um, one of the things I was reading through Elder Uchtdorf's talk from the April 2012 conference, um, the title of the talk is The Merciful Obtain Mercy, and probably the thing that most people will remember from that talk is the two-word sermon. 
where he oh. just said, stop it, right? Yeah. He goes through all these actions and he says, if you're experiencing these things, I have a two-word sermon, stop it. And I, it, it's a really funny thing, but I almost, I'm like sad that that was, that it, that was in there because but, I think that's yeah. what most people remember when there's a lot of other really, really great stuff in that talk. Like he actually gave a much longer sermon than the two-word sermon, right? Um, one of the things he said is uh, we read, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. He says, of course, these words seem perfectly reasonable when applied to someone else. <laughs> we can so clearly and easily see the harmful, the harmful results that come when others judge and hold grudges. And we certainly don't like it when people judge us. But when it comes to our own prejudices and grievances, we too often justify our anger as righteous and our judgment as reliable and only appropriate. Though we cannot look into another's heart, we assume that we know a bad motive or even a bad person when we see one. We make exceptions when it comes to our own bitterness because we feel that in our case, we have all the information we need to hold someone else in contempt, right? Like it's so easy for us to look at someone else and think, oh, yeah, they need to like forgive. They need to be better. They need, yeah. yeah. Um, and, but it's, it's really hard to sometimes you know, take that beam out of our own eye mm-hmm. and, and, and clean our window. Yeah. And, and, and try to instead express, um, that empathy and understanding for someone else and to really learn that, that healer's art. Yeah. So on the boundaries thing, um, I, I think it, it's, it's kind of interesting how, um, you know, Bonnie, she doesn't, she doesn't know, you know, necessarily like what's, what's really going on inside that marriage relationship. Um, because they only show so much. Right. And something that stuck out to me was how, um, because the dad, because Greg's dad, uh, lost a battle that he got kicked out. And I want to, I want to think um, that that's not exactly how it was played out. If um, if the two, you know, if the mom and dad were to sit down together, they could say that's not what happened. But that's what you know, Bonnie thinks, and that's what Greg thinks, right? And, and probably all the kids, and, and all the kids. Yeah, this is a punishment. Yeah, for their dad and for losing a, a battle, right? No, that's not how boundaries work. It's so, not a punishment. Yeah. So so technically. Um, it's not kicking out if they have both agreed on those specific boundaries, right? Um, so for example, um, I have a similar boundary and when a lost battle occurs, I don't manage what my husband does because I know I can't do that and I can only control, um, what I do, but I do need to take action to provide safety for myself and for my kids. So, um, so I refuse to allow myself to be in an unsafe environment where I can lose my temper because see boundaries are, there to protect me and those that I love. Um, and so if I were to stay in this environment, you know, then um, this is where the adversary can tempt me to take things out unnecessarily at my kids and betray who I am trying to be for them. Um, and self-betrayal, by the way, to me is so much worse than your spouse being, than your spouse betraying you. Um, and I think I explained that on a different podcast. I don't know which one, but anyways, oh, I think it's in the one that's lies. Like you've made a liar out of me. Um, anyway. And so, um, I also, um, need to go somewhere, um, where I can try and heal 
from the emotion and the pain that I'm feeling. Um, and then there's going to be heightened levels of fiery darts. I feel like the adversary is going to take advantage of um, that situation and I'm going to feel completely out of control. Even though I know in the end I'm the one in control, I'm going to feel out of control. Um, and so um, it's not uncommon. It's not uncommon for the betrayed to say, like, if you lose a battle, I choose not to be around you and I will remove myself from where you are and do whatever it takes for me to provide the safety that I need so that I can heal. Um, and then at a later time, we can come back together again, you know, and discuss and talk about the things that have happened. But initially, like, if I'm going to be around, you know, that's not going to look good. Like, <laughs> I'm going to be yelling. I'm going to be, I, I'm really great at being super passive aggressive. <laughs> even and now. Even now. <laughs> um, yeah. We, we had some passive aggressive comments yesterday. Yesterday. We had to go to the mall. and Oh, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. I, there's, there's still things that yeah. trigger some of those hard emotions to deal with. And yeah. Yeah. I, and in that case... I chose to remove myself from the mall because I no longer felt safe there. And I, Linda was maybe a little sad because she wasn't done shopping and walking around the mall. We had <laughs> Christmas things to, to do. And I said, sorry, I don't feel safe here anymore. But I was, you know, even though I was frustrated that we had to leave because I actually like the mall, I could recognize that that was something that Clark recognized. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. Let's go, you know. And... I had to work hard with my own feelings. And you know the adversary, you know, he's going to try and convince me that like, oh, it's because my husband's blah, 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 you know, and whatever. He and just all doesn't like things. shopping or being in the mall in the first place. He's using this as an excuse to get out of the mall. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever, you know. And, and, and so I had to really like fight my own fiery darts at that at that time to know, hey, you know what, this is a really good step for Clark to admit that it's not a safe environment for him and that shopping, even though I like it, it's not worth it. You know, it's not worth that additional um, battle for us. And so anyway, so then. Um, we so, digress. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we went to Target instead and spent hours there. Um, anyway, so I chose to leave. So I choose to leave uh, situations um, after like a lost battle, uh, because that's what I can control. And if he chooses to leave instead, that would be easier for me and the kids, of course. So, um, I also have a boundary that says I'll take my kids to a family member's home so I can have time to do some, uh, additional self-care because after a lost battle, you need like extra and more self-care and more armor, um, because you are going to be, uh, more susceptible to those fiery darts, I think. Um, and so you do have like a level of, I call it maintenance armor, <laughs> but when you, when there's a lost battle, there's just like more that you need. You just need more armor. Um, but of course you have to gauge like how much that is for yourself. So I could need like a year or just a day, depending on like what it is and depending on um, what if he chooses to continue to lie or how I found out or, you know, so d those things would affect um, my boundary and like my actions based on, on that lost battle. Um, and so one time that, that this last time um, I remember that 
um, I was going to leave. And you guys can listen to the this last episode, episode 18, about the lost battle and like what we did. But um, in a nutshell, I chose to leave because that was what I had specified. And it's really helpful to write these down um, for the betrayed so that you know like what you're supposed to do because at that time it's very confusing. Um, and so I chose – I told him, I said, I will leave because I need that space. And instead he said, no, no, I le- I'll leave so that you can have the space at home. And I was like, you know what? That's really awesome of him to do that um, because, you know, I wanted to stay with the kids and I think I had something else or I had just come back from a women's retreat and I wanted to be with them, but then I also didn't want to be with them because I didn't want to take things out on them. So it was really confusing, but in the end it worked out really good. But I, I did appreciate that I didn't have to get up and leave my home because, um, he was the one who lost the battle. And so he took initiative and said that he would leave and he would support me in those, um, boundaries that I had set. And so that helps me know that you're like, you're on my team, you know? But I also think it would have been important, you know, like if you had said, no, I actually do want to leave. Yeah. I don't feel safe here in this home anymore, or I need some time just on my own for me to respect that as well. Right. Like the person who's, you know, broken the terms of, of of the agreements or the boundaries or whatever doesn't get to set those terms you know right. right like if if you had said no we talked about i i told you if you lost a battle i was going to leave because i needed some time on my own or i need to go be with my support group or you know a, a mm-hmm. person who understands i need to go be with a friend or my mom or or just on my own then that should be respected as well right like yeah uh, I was trying to be helpful, but but I think that, you know, the, the point of boundaries, like you said, you had written these out before, and I don't think either of them remembered what the boundaries – I think you went back I and had like to go re- back. Yeah. re-read it. It had, it had been a while. I, I'd been doing pretty well in my recovery. And she said, hey, this – by the way, this is the boundary that I set yeah. and that I told you, and so that's what's going to happen, right? Um, and it wasn't like a threat of like – if you do this, then I'm going to do this or like some yeah, sort of, no, you know, it's it like was just you like, could choose I to need... have lost battles all the time. This is just what I'm going to do. Right. When you do. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so I, so that is always appreciated. And so something that I did want to tell Bonnie is, you know, you don't know exactly how these boundaries have been set um, with your mother-in-law and even though it's really hard to kind of see it from her perspective, maybe, you know, I mean, I think it's hard. I mean, it was hard for me not to be with you. I had just come back from like a long trip where I wasn't with you. I was with my sisters, you know, and I wanted to be with you. And now I couldn't be with you. And I was the one that had set that boundary for myself. And I'm like, man, Either I'm really smart or I'm really dumb, you know. <laughs> but I mean, in the end, I was really smart, right? Um, and so it's it's not like the betrayed wants to be away from their spouse. Like we, that's not our ideal situation, you know. Like we we're always working towards having a better relationship with each other, you know. And and what happens is. 
um, at least for me, is like I was mourning that time that I couldn't have with him, you know? And I know like that your mother-in-law isn't jumping for joy because she's, you know, alone, but that she is excited for the day that her husband will be able to show her those bits of trust and um, those bits of support and like being on the same team as her so that she can feel like she's safe enough to be with him. Um, I just want to jump in like what you're saying, like totally like one of the things I wrote, just a little bullet point. I said the children could ask themselves, Am I seeking to understand the perspective of both my parents? If the separation is hard for them as children, imagine how hard it must be for the parents. How difficult is that decision for a mother to make? Knowing that the separation will take not only her spouse out of the home, but also the father of her children, the priesthood provider, right? I don't think any wife would come to that decision lightly. That is a really hard thing. And um, she needs support and validation in that just as much as the dad needs love. I mean, it was hard for Linda. It was really hard for me, too. Um, And we we've decided, you know, that was a day. You guys, it was like not even that long. How long was that? That was like a whole 24 hours. I think that was, I think that was my boundary. It was like at least 24 hours. It wasn't that long, but it was, you know, it was the first time where it was like, no, you're going to sleep somewhere else because I don't want you here. Yeah. Like that was, man, that was rough. Um, and so, yeah, to do that for an extended period of time, it's just going to be even harder. And you know, one of the things we decided that we were going to be really open with our kids throughout this whole process. And man, I told my kids what had happened, that I lost a battle, right? We, they, they knew that this is something that we were going through. I, we had talked to them. I, we've got other episodes where we talked about that. But as part of this lost battle process, I told them, I was like, guys, I I lost a battle, you know? And they knew what that meant. And we, we, we kind of talked about it. And again, one of the things that really helped me was that support from my kids, they were like, dad, we still love you. You know, everybody makes mistakes. And so um, that support was so helpful to me. And I can't imagine being the betrayed and not having that support. You know, they also gave hugs to Linda and they're like, mom, we're so sorry that mm. you have to go through Like they were there for both of us and they're little and they don't even necessarily understand everything that's going on. But I think that, uh, you know, everybody needs that love and support. Yeah. And I think it's so important that, that as as children you recognize that our, like our purpose is to stay together forever like not you know it's th- that's like our goal that's what we talk about that's what that's why we say family prayer that's why we do family evening that's why we go to church. That's why, you know, all these things, that's why we serve people. That's why we leave our family sometimes to go serve other people and, you know, everything so that we can just go back at the end and get to stay together forever. And and so it's got to be really hard to, um, so Maurice Harker from Life Changing Services, who Clark mentioned before, um, he talks about how, um, you know, Kicking somebody out in quotations um, gives the gives a spouse time to be alone, and 
Um, as for thoughts and things that the betrayed might think that the spouse is doing, like this period of time where they are separated, it will drive the betrayed insane. Um, as, like if she can't keep her, like her thoughts and emotions in check, like, yeah, we got to do an additional amount of self-care because the adversary, what's he telling us in our mind that our spouse is doing behind our back? The same thing he's been doing behind our back the entire time, right? So kicking your spouse out actually is like a bad idea at the beginning and a good idea, right? Because a bad idea, because Satan's going to now fill you with all this doubt and all this emotion about how bad your spouse is and what they're doing on their free time and how they well, Don't they think can't, it doesn't go the other way too. Yeah. And how they can't, you know, do anything and, you know, whatever. But like, you need that additional armor, like the betrayed needs that additional armor so that they can fight those feelings. Because what we want to think that our spouse is doing is not all the things that we thought they were doing before. <laughs> and Maurice Harker actually talks about it. He says that um, in one of the Q&As, and he reminds us that the betrayed spouse, um, it's okay for men to be alone. And it's not a punishment. Um, this is time, if used wisely, can connect them to heaven. And so he goes through and lists um, different prophets that have lived, that have been able to see God or see the hand of God or see the presence of God, um, like Moses or the brother of Jared or even uh, Joseph Smith. Um, when he went to the woods, he got to see Jesus Christ and Heavenly Father. He was alone. He was not with like his spouse. He was not with anybody around him. Um, these were experiences that these men had alone um, because they can be taught from God alone. That's when they get to be taught. And so if um, our spouses take that time um, that they've been given. I, it's almost like a gift, right? Like we're not trying to kick them out because that's what's going to make us necessarily happy because it's also going to drive us nuts. Um, we we put that boundary in place so that it can give us time to connect with God, but it can give them time to connect with God as well, um, to provide them that strength that they need to fight their battles and to learn about who they are and what they need to do their, to serve their family, their community, and their eternal companions. So it's not like a punishment, um, but it's more of just a gift of time. And so like what they choose to do with that time obviously determines uh, the outcome, but it's, you know, I just like that that he kind of helps us realize like, you know, it's not a bad thing that they have time to themselves. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it can be a very challenging thing and a hard thing, but if used wisely, it can actually strengthen the relationship uh, in time. Um, yeah, that's good. Uh, did you have anything else about boundaries you wanted to go over? Nope. That cool. was, I mean, um, you know. I, we're, we're starting to to get up there in time. I had a couple of other thoughts um, that I really like, just some, some things I read, maybe some resources to share. Um, the, 
addiction recovery program manual for spouses and family, I think did have some good stuff, especially if you try and read it, not only from the perspective of helping the addicted, but also helping the the betrayed. Um, there's in step three, they, they, they kind of have steps for um, spouses and family, the same way that there are steps, you know, there's steps to healing for spouses and family, the same way there's steps to recovery for uh, the addicted. But uh, in step three for spouses and family, it, it's titled Understanding That Change Takes Time. Mm. And it says, we may find ourselves impatient for change to occur because we are anxious to stop hurting. Even though we do all that we can to seek healing and we acknowledge that the Lord is helping us, we still recognize that the healing and recovery process takes time. While continuing to have hope for changes in the near future, we also need to be willing to accept that some changes may take a lifetime or longer. Elder Dallin H. Oaks stated, Not all problems are overcome, and not all needed relationships are fixed in mortality. The work of salvation goes on beyond the veil of death, and we should not be too apprehensive about incompleteness within the limits of mortality. And I love that. Yeah, I really hope that, you know, we can overcome a lot of these things in mortality, but, but we need to recognize that this all takes time. The addiction was going on for 13 years. In a lot of relationships, it's even longer than that. The process of healing and forgiveness is also going to take time, just like that recovery is going to take time. Um, I also like a lot of stuff in uh, step five. We've, we've touched on some of these principles, I think. But step five uh, is accepting that we cannot control our loved ones or heal them, right? We cannot control the addict. We cannot control the betrayed or heal them. We can't heal either of them. It says um, in step five, our ensnared loved ones often make poor choices and may suffer significant consequences. It is hard to watch this happen and to feel helpless to prevent it. We might believe that things won't get better unless we step in and fix it. We may try to persuade, reason, bargain, punish, manipulate, or shame our loved ones into recovering. And I would add, or into healing. Um, These attempts may seem effective for a time, but in the end, they are not enough. We learn from experience that trying to exercise control only creates a limit of tension, fear, and resentment. Um, and, you know, like like you said, we can't just tell someone, you need to forgive them, right? That's trying to exercise that control. Uh, Elder Richard G. Scott counseled, do not attempt to override agency. The Lord himself would not do that. Forced obedience yields no blessings. It is not, and then uh, that's the end of the quote. Um, the next uh, point from, uh, from that step, it says, it is natural for us to want our loved ones to experience the healing power of Jesus Christ. And we strive to help them in any way we can. However, it is important to understand that we cannot save them. If we try to save them from the consequences of their poor choices, we are wrongfully attempting to, to usurp the role of our Savior and Redeemer. Some of our efforts and intentions in their behalf may actually postpone their turning to the Savior. For the Lord to heal them, they need to exercise faith and be obedient, obedient to his command, commandments. We cannot do that for them. The Savior asks... Will ye now not, sorry, will ye not now return unto me and repent of your sins and be converted that I may heal you? All people must choose for themselves to come unto the Savior. In the case of a person struggling, he or she is the only one who can choose to do what is necessary to find recovery or healing. So, you know, I I think it just goes back to, um, being there for them and just loving them, but 
knowing that that process has to, you know, I think that, you know, as, if we're trying to help someone forgive, the worst thing we can do is go to them and start giving them all this advice, right? Like uh, when I said, I think it's great for children to read through all these resources, they have to read through those resources with the intent to understand what the addict yeah. and betrayed are going through, not the intent to solve to, yeah, to, oh, hey, by the way, I just read this great thing and you really need to be doing this, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's not going to help anybody. There may be occasions when you could prayerfully and lovingly share something and say, hey, this gave me a greater insight into something. And and maybe even, you know, like one of the things I found is as I read this stuff, like as, as I've tried to understand betrayal trauma, sometimes I understand things about my own self, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh man, I experienced certain of these emotions. And so, you know, maybe there is a time when you could seek to share something. Um, but I, I can remember, you know, I hate to admit it, there was a time Linda was reading through um, like dragons that they fight. <laughs> and she was like, this book says this and this and this and this. And I thought you were in recovery and that you were learning about this. And I don't see you doing all these things. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like it, I, I tried really hard to be humble and accept that in the spirit that it was meant and and to recognize like, oh, there are still some ways in which she doesn't feel safe. Otherwise, she wouldn't be coming to me with this, right? I tried to recognize that for what it was. It was her communicating with me like, you could be doing more to help me feel safe. Um, but man, was it hard not to get defensive when she was like, I read all these things and you're not doing them. You know, like, it, I don't think that's the best way that we can help people. Right. But if we're, if we're reading those resources and seeking to understand what they're going through and then just loving them and being there for them and listening to them and validating that what they're going through is super hard, I think that can help people get there faster, hopefully. But again, you know, the step three is sometimes we might just have to accept it's going to take a, a long time. Yeah. And, and we don't want to accept that because I mean, Let's be honest, the betrayed wants it to go by faster, too, because we just want our husbands back, in quotes, right? But they're not going to come back in. We don't we don't want that old husband because we can't trust that old husband anymore. And so we need a new husband from this experience. And and we want to see that new husband right away <laughs> so that we can feel that safety. Um and and that's what and that's what's hard i think for the betrayed because we we want that quick too you know just like the kids want it quick yeah well the betrayed wants it quick too and i'm sure the husband would rather not deal with addiction like this as well and so so yeah um so definitely patience on everyone's part yeah. um but i will share that and i don't know if um if greg's dad ever going to listen to this episode. But I just want to say that I know that as you can strive to be on the same team as your spouse, that that will help her heal so much faster than throwing her under the bus. Then... You yeah, know? if he's telling his kids, oh, she kicked me out. I really want to be at home, but yeah. mom doesn't want me there. 
Yeah, that's, that's not, not going to be the attitude that's going to get. And we don't that know if keeps, that's his attitude. Yeah, we, that's we, not. We, we well, I'm, that's what I'm saying. There, I'm, yeah. I'm just saying, like, that's not going to be the attitude that keeps the family together. Um, it definitely has to be a team effort in communication with your spouse and how um, your spouse can communicate that same um, unity with the children. And then it helps, you know, it also helps the children because I feel like the children go through a different kind of trauma when this happens Um, because they have seen their parents grow up with them for so long. And now this has been hidden from them. And it's like their parents have been pretending to have like an awesome marriage. I don't know if that's, you know, what they we're portraying, but that's what we try to portray, right? Like we try to portray an awesome marriage. Who knows if that's what it actually looks like? Probably not. Um, obviously not. And so um, there's a level of betrayal there, I feel, that the kids can also uh, benefit from just communicating with each other, you know, and sharing your own feelings about – Hey, you know, remember that time when we saw mom and dad fighting? Maybe, you know, and trying to connect some dots there, you know, and and seeing how you can be a support to both of them um, in your own ways and not trying to seek them always being together and everything you know, taking them out on dates separately, you know, like we still try and take our kids out on dates individually and you can still keep that up. Right. So, so that mom and dad don't think like, Hey, because we're going through this, our kids have alienated us. You know, that would be the worst for like our boys to be like, well, we're going to let you guys figure this out and then we'll just come back later. Right. Now we would still want our kids to want to be with us, even if we're apart. Um, and just kind of express that love and support, like you were saying, because um, that would continue to help with that unity instead of trying to separate by talking poorly about somebody else's choices to the other person. So, yeah. yeah. Anyways. I like that. I think that those, uh, I think that's some really good advice and, and good thoughts. Um I had a couple other thoughts. You you gave into the temptation to not just speak to the children. So I wanted to say one other thing. <laughs> this is, um, I, I want to say this in the, uh, so I am not, um, I, I don't, I don't know enough about this situation, oh, yeah, right? No. I, I, I don't want anyone to think that I am second guessing um, the mom's therapist or what she's telling her. I don't know oh, what yeah. they've gone through. I do want to say, though, um, over the course of um, our recovery and healing efforts, we've both heard stories from different people about uh, about individuals who were working with a therapist that just wasn't working for them, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want to say those are bad therapists, but... um, Man, I do feel like there's some horror stories where I'm like, man, that seems like a bad therapist. But again, I don't know. I, I never know. I yeah. only know one side of the story. Yeah. I will say, though, that I've heard several stories of people who did not have good luck with a certain therapist and things didn't seem to prog- be progressing. Maybe the advice that they were getting didn't seem to jive with their own personal beliefs or the things that worked for them. And they didn't start to find good 
healing and recovery until they switched therapists and tried something different. Oh, yeah. Um, and one of the things that stuck out to me a little bit about this um, email was they said that it seems like mom has been becoming more bitter and pushing people away and and seemingly be, being more resentful, right? And I don't know exactly what's causing that. It could be any number of issues. Again, I'm not trying to... Um, you know, make judgments from afar with such limited information. But I do want to say that if there's somebody out there who feels like they're not making progress with their therapist or who has, you know, like their therapist is telling them something and saying, do this. And it seems against your beliefs, right? Like the kids were saying, this seems like it's against the commandments. And, you know, there may be good reasons why they're they're doing that. And I do agree with what Linda said that focusing on forgiveness may not be the right thing, right? Like you can't force forgiveness, Um but if if there's something that doesn't jive, don't be afraid to try a different therapist. Don't be afraid to go to someone new and 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 seek help from a different source. Because we've heard a lot of stories where sometimes switching and finding somebody, you know, I, I tried different programs and different approaches to recovery that did not work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then got into life changing services and their teachings really seemed to jive with my beliefs and were really, really helpful to, to my recovery. It doesn't yeah. work for everyone, right? I've, I've talked to other people who receive that same kind of feeling from SA Lifeline or uh, from the church's ARP program or from some other, you know, like if what you're doing, at my, um, you know, growing up, my dad and I played racquetball a lot and I love racquetball. And one of the things my dad always uh, told me uh, when we played racquetball, uh, he would say, never change a winning game, always change a losing game, right? We used to go over all these different strategies for, for racquetball cute. and different, different ways that you could play the game, right? Mm-hmm. And you had to figure out what your opponent was doing and what, but, but that was one thing that he would always say is, you know, like we've gone over all these strategies, but don't just pick one and stick with it. Like if you're trying one strategy and it's not working and you're losing, Try one of these other strategies we've talked yeah. about, right? And that was a teaching he taught a lot was uh, never change a winning game, but always change a losing game. And so if what you're trying isn't working, it's time to change. Um, if yeah. you're finding success in your recovery and, and things seem to be progressing, then stick with it. Keep doing it. Yeah. Uh, keep figuring out what you can do more. Um, I feel – oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Nope, you're good. I was just going to say I feel like um, in the past, like, you know, some of my sisters of worth, like they've switched – therapist too. And what I have found is that there are certain therapists that specialize in certain things. And once I have gotten um, their nuggets of wisdom and like the thing that they specialize for kind of ingrained, and then I feel like I could answer questions the way that my therapist could tell me. You almost I'm hear like, your therapist yeah, in your head, right? Yeah. Something happens, you're like, oh, I know. <laughs> this is what she would say. Exactly. Then I feel like, you know what? I now, I, I feel like I have used that therapist to my advantage as much as I can. And I now need to learn from another person's perspective and experience. And there's nothing wrong with that. At the beginning, I thought, oh, there, I'm going to offend her if I, you know, if I don't. If I don't stick with her and stuff like that, you know, they have so many clients. They don't I mean, they care about you, but they don't really they understand that you need to progress in your healing. And so if you just, you know, let them know that, hey, you know, thank you so much. And I'm going to go 
you know, see what else I can learn out there, you know, then that's great. Um, at the same time, though, with the fact that it's the kids thinking that the mother is acting this way, um, maybe she doesn't see it that way. And speaking to the kids, I don't think telling her to switch a therapist is yes. going to help no, you. No, no, no. <laughs> that, that was not my intention. No, but I, I know. Right, but you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, like if if she, if your mother-in-law feels like she is not getting anywhere, then she can think about switching and then that's okay for her to do. That's, but there's – Yeah, that was – But there's like not going to be any tactful way. I don't know if way. dad's ever going to listen to this. My thought was <laughs> yeah. I don't know if she's ever going to listen to this. And again, yeah. I have zero information. Yeah, there's I just, not going to be any tactful way to be like, but it was your just therapist is messed up. You need to get a yeah. new one. Like, it's just a thought that I had <laughs> while reading this. Yeah. That somebody else might be questioning their right. own therapist. Yeah. I don't think that you should ever suggest to someone else that they change therapists, right? Unless they've expressed – unless they've already expressed to you like, oh, my therapist said this and I don't know. It seems really b- weird and, you know, like yeah. – at that point, yeah, maybe you could tell them. But or like you've more, gone to I was the just same thinking, therapist and experienced the same problem or something. I don't know. Yeah. But like, yeah. My, my thought was more just like if you're listening to this and feel stuck, yeah, um, always change a losing game. Yeah. Um, I think that's smart. I had one other question for you that I wanted to – one last thing I want to address okay. before we wrap up, if yeah. I could. There's this paragraph in here where it talks about um, the youngest son in this family still lives at home. And he mm-hmm. said, like, man, I feel like my mom's being so harsh. It makes me think, like, I couldn't go to her and open up about problems if I ever had problems. I couldn't be honest about my own struggles because, man, it just seems like she's been so hard on on dad. That would be rough because I would want both my boys to be able to come to me with any problems, right? Yeah. Um, It's a really good question. What would you say to that son about like the importance of still being willing to open up to his mom or his parents in general, his dad? Like I think his dad would also have like as someone who is fighting against it and struggling with it and has been working his own recovery, you know, like I – I would really hope that my my boys would come and talk to me about it. I would hope that they would talk to you about it, you know, especially yeah. seeing that we've been dealing with this. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, that that was – I wanted to get your perspective on that one specifically. And, and I don't know if I have a great solution or great advice other than just to tell the son, you know, like things that we've already said of like try and understand this from your mom's perspective. Yeah, I I feel like the only thing I could say is communication is key here, you know, and unfortunately, it's hard to control what other people do. And if I could control the dad on this, again, I would be like, dad, you need to go to and this is me just being bossy because that's who I am. <laughs> Dad, you need to go and talk to your son and tell him, hey, you know what? Your mom is doing the best that she can. And I told her all the things that I'm struggling with because I want to continue in this relationship with your mother and I want to be completely honest with her. If I continue to hide it from her, it's going to break our relationship apart and I don't want that to happen. And so I am willing to make space for her to heal because in the end then we'll be together forever and it might take mom a while to you know get get back to her uh normal self i mean she's never gonna be the same this is completely different person but uh because of the transformation we have to make in ourselves but you could even say mom's gonna be even better after this happens but 
you know, like we're all trying to grow and learn from all the experiences that we have here on earth. And just getting that message from, from his dad, I think would be powerful. Um, and then, you know, from the mom to be able to tell her son, like, Hey, you know, it is hard that I'm away from your dad for this long. And I put boundaries in place so that I could, um, so that I could fight those, those fiery darts so that I don't take things out on you guys. Cause I want to be a good mom and, you know, and your dad's helping me with that. And I think that's awesome that he's, that he's willing to do that and he's not fighting me on it and that he's respecting my, my boundaries, you know, and I don't know how long it's going to last that we're apart, but our goal is, you know, to get back together. And I know it's going to be hard on you for now because we're not together, but if you ever want to, you know, go see your dad or hang out with him, I would totally take you there or, you know, he can pick you up or, you know, whatever. We're not like enemies, you know, and cause, cause he's feeling that uncertainty as well. You know, he's got that trauma that he's feeling as a, yeah. as a son being in a split apart home, but just knowing that his parents are united in trying to get back together, I think would help to heal his heart a little bit more and open him up for being vulnerable when the time comes for any future struggles. I don't know. That's, mm. that's what I think, but I like that. Um, it might also be helpful. I don't know. Maybe, um, I, in, in our last episode, you talked about, and I think, uh, Bonnie even mentioned how you talked about that you would react differently if it were, if it were your son from your husband. Yeah. Right? We talked about that, um, in the lost battle episode and, and how that the, the husband wife relationship is so much different than the parent child relationship. And I think maybe just a discussion about that is, yeah. is also helpful of like, um, I, I I don't know for sure, but uh, uh, for the son, I would I would want him to know, you know, if he were listening to this, that that there is a, a big difference between yeah. that that spousal relationship and the parent child relationship, and I think that uh, I think her reaction would be would be quite a bit different, and I think it would oh, be yeah, if he ever had something that he were struggling with, it, it would. You know, his mom would bend over backwards to help him out and oh. to do anything she could oh, for yeah. him. And I think that she would be loving and kind and understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. I think that's how I think yeah. that's how Heavenly Father is, you know, with us in that he's patient and he's merciful and he's loving. And because he knew we were going to make mistakes. He sent his sinless son to help us because he knew we weren't perfect and he knew that we were going to have a hard time down here. And so I think that just knowing that that was a reaction from a parent um, helps to kind of provide that, that assurance that our reaction as a parent with a, with a child coming to us with a struggle is going to be similar to that of our heavenly parents. Yeah, fantastic. I think that's probably a, a pretty good place to wrap up uh, bearing testimony of Christ and his power to heal. That's really what it's all about yeah. is if we can all work on ourselves and 
try and I just follow him. You know, again, like I said, that uh, the words of that of that hymn came to me, and maybe that yeah. that would be an appropriate way to close. Savior, may I learn to love thee. Walk the path that thou hast shown. Pause to help and lift another, finding strength beyond my own. Savior, may I learn to love thee. Lord, I would follow thee. Who am I to judge another when I walk imperfectly? In the quiet heart is hidden sorrow that the eye can't see. Who am I to judge another? Lord, I would follow thee. I would be my brother's keeper. I would learn the healer's art. To the wounded and the weary, I would show a gentle heart. I would be my brother's keeper. Lord, I would follow thee. Savior, may I love my brother, my mother, and my father, as I know thou lovest me. Find in thee my strength, my beacon, for thy servant I would be. Savior, may I love my brother. Lord, I would follow thee. I think as we all just try and follow the Lord, it's going to help us in our recovery and healing efforts, both as a spouse and addict and family and children and friends. Um, we're all fighting that same battle. And if we can strive to do what he would do, I think that we uh, will be in good company. Yep. And our lives may not be like a Hallmark movie now, but oh, how they will be infinitely more glorious than our mortal minds can even imagine through and because of Jesus Christ. Um, I know he is the reason for this season and every season of our lives. And we want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas, especially those going through uh, betrayal, trauma and addiction recovery. Um it's not easy during the holidays, but um, like President Nelson says, it, that um, it is not uh, the circumstances that our lives um, where we experience joy, but it's through the focus of our lives that we can experience that joy. Um, thanks for listening this year and um grateful for Bonnie and her experience and being vulnerable and sharing with us that special letter. And, um, if you have a minute, please comment on iTunes or your favorite podcast show and, or player. And, um, it just helps others to find the same hope and healing that others have been able to find. And we appreciate all your comments and they mean so much. And if you have questions you want us to ramble on about for over an hour, <laughs> you can also send us an email. Um, we like them. Yeah. Obviously. And again, uh, my email is Clark at ClarkandLinda.com. And mine's Linda at ClarkandLinda.com. Thanks for listening. We love you guys. Bye.